Hey, this is Eastlake BBA, and this is our podcast. We want to thank you for joining us today. We hope this inspires you. We hope this builds your faith. Enjoy the message. Hi, I'm an alcoholic. Hi, Anna. Dude, the last time I was up near a stage in a microphone, I was on the stage hammered in the microphone. No kidding. Unwelcomed. Unwarranted. Playing the congas or something. Hi, once again, on an alcoholic. And I'm here to share my experience and help with you guys. Um, experience. So my sobriety date is October 9th, 2017. Um, I turned four, that's my 47th year. I, this year I'll be 51. So I didn't get 40, sober till I was 47. Been drinking since about, uh, since I was 14, 1984. I used to go to, um, to TJ at 14 before they ID'd. It was, you know, just lots of fun and hanging out and drinking weekends and all that kind of stuff. I mean, everyone drank a lot then, right? And so that was just kind of the cool thing to do. And that's just beer and things like that that I kind of messed with, but not too much. I'll, I'll back up a little bit. So I, I ran away from home at, um, I, I never, don't know my dad, never did. Um, I ran away from home to experience life at 14, 15, and um, I never, and I never really went back. And so um, from that point on, I just became an adult, really. I don't remember any of my childhood. Um, I didn't have summers off, fun with friends. I started working right when I was, when I was 15. And um, ran away from Valhalla High School and ended up in Hoover High School, which completely kind of from one extreme to another. But um, it's a group of little punk rock kid, too. And so that was fun being, being um, you know, I was able to be the black sheep and, and still be cool. Cause, you know, I moved around. My mom moved me around every year. I, went, I think I had six elementary schools in, in five years. And so when people talk about not fitting in as an alcoholic, I can't relate to that really because I never, I never fit in, period, because I didn't have the opportunity to do so. Because you know, my mom took me to a new elementary school every year. And it was really hard to fit in, and it was. And so I probably had to be silly and obnoxious and outgoing because I rolled in and some like pretty jacked up imitation stuff too. You know, I wasn't rolling in looking like a cool kid. And um, so anyway, so I, I ran away from home, started dabbling in alcohol a little bit, and got into, you know, my first relationship that was abusive. And, you know, I didn't know what love was. I didn't know what love was. I didn't know what nurturing was. I had no parents to really give me any guidance or anything. And so the man that came into my life, who was, somehow I managed to date, like, the two biggest badass guys in San Diego. And violent, right? Because, I mean, if they're tough and they're mean and, you know, if they... If somebody looks at me sideways, they, they're gonna, you know, they're gonna get smacked down or something. And, and so I just had no idea what love right was, right? And so funny because, well, later on, and I'll share about that, is going through the steps and stuff. You come full circle to figure out why you make those kind of choices in life. But it took me, it took me a lot of, a lot of those same mistakes. Like my sex inventory is super repetitive. It's same, 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 same reason, same thing, you know? And so I didn't know at the time that I was choosing like to be protected from something that I never was, which was, which was, uh, you know, parents and, and nurtured and, and have that loving stuff. That's also what the bottle did for me is it gave me that, that warmth and that strength and comfort that, you know, just the outside kind of cold reality world uh, didn't, didn't give me because, you know, it really, as a young woman or a young girl, I shouldn't have experienced like all the things I did, you know, growing up. And for me, that that gave me this this false ego that I was badass too. I mean, I hung around with the big badass people. We were punk rock. There was fighting. There was, you know, you don't mess with these kind of people. And 
and like, hey, I survived this, hey, I, I could do this, but, you know, when you look at it now, like, I just put myself in so many, so many risky situations that I was just lucky to survive because come to find out, like, God just had a hold of me and knew me even, even though I, I didn't, I didn't know that. Cause like God's known me for, since I was born or before I was born or never, but I just have come to him recently. So, um, you know, I just thought I was this badass and, and I had, uh, this unearned, you know, strength and, and invincibleness. And I think that, well, I don't know, like the alcohol fueled that. Right. And so, um, fast forward a little bit, like I was pretty successful. I uh, went through college, San Diego streets university actually. And, but I started doing events and things, and I got a home and and was was pretty successful, self willing to to that point, you know, and and got married and had a baby. And at that time, like I was just, I was definitely binge drinking at that point. Um, maybe one, it was only weekend stuff, but when it was, it was too much. It was too much. So shortly years after that, you know, the gig was up, and so then it came to the hiding and sneaking, and like everybody knew that I was, everybody knew that I had a problem. My friends at that point, like. And, you know, that was fun. I used to be a lot of fun. I used to be a lot of fun, I think. I got a lot of fun, but then nobody, and I like to be liked. Like, I like to be respected. I like to have friends. I don't, I don't like the chatter to be about what Anna did last night or the night before or the night before. And so there's that, you know, you go out and you, you drink way too much and then you hide out for like a week or whatever. And then you get the courage to show back up again and you drink a little bit more and you swear you're not going to drink that much. And the next thing you know, you're waking up and, and once again, you know, you're looking for your stuff and you're looking for, for just your heart and your soul that you just left out somewhere and the store and the narrative is the same, you know, same thing, same thing. And none of my friends really ever, you know, a couple people came to the door and said, Hey, it's time. We're concerned about you, but nobody really ever did. And, and my mom later on, and she's still not in my life, like walked and, um, so didn't make it through the marriage. Um, I'm a mom. Um, and successful house, car, boat, husband, that was not successful, but I had a husband, and um, all the things that I thought I needed to write up, like a bank account, I had security, at least I thought it was security, and um, you know, when stuff got really, really tough in 2016, and work was really tough, I didn't have the tools, I didn't have the tools to keep it together, and I just, I just continued to medicate, and by that time, I was like, drinking, drinking daily, right, and hiding, doing the hiding the bottle thing, and and I was a pretty cool mom until I, I started drinking uncontrollably, meaning I would wake up at, at six in the morning and hit that liquor store, and I was a use, useless mom. Um, I wasn't accountable for work, and so I just drank more, more and more, hiding bottles everywhere, you know, and and it finally caught up with me, and my son was take, was removed from my care. Uh, I got in an argument with him at the end of 2016, argument with a nine-year-old, right? Like, that even makes sense. And he didn't return to my home without a monitor, a visitation monitor, until 2019 through, through much of court battles and whatnot. I can tell you through that time, like, it's progression, right? So I didn't drink all the time when I was young. It was, it was just for fun. And then early, early 20s, it, it was still just for fun, but I was still drinking too much. Early 30s, like, it got worse because then I had responsibilities and I was going to not just friends' places, but, like, weddings and other things like that where I was asked to, I was asked to leave from places at that point. You know, the bars would still take me because there's always, there's always somebody that's going to hang out with me hammered. Just There's just always somebody. And that doesn't mean that it, that's because the person really loves me and they're healthy too, right? But there's somebody that's always going to love, love me hammered. 
I'll, usually a bodyguard that ends up bringing me around somewhere, um, it's not good for me either, right? So um, he was removed from my care and I, I still drank. So I was really, really, really sick at this time, really, really sick. And even though he was gone, I was doing, um, I walked into regular, I'll call it regular AA, tried to dabble in that a little bit, not so much, you know, I mean, I, I didn't realize like how spiritually sick I super, super was. And I realized, you know, this once I get to the, the, the experience and strength or the, the strength part, but um, I didn't know anything about, didn't grow up religious, knew, knew nothing about spirituality, knew nothing other than like survival. And I knew that I was gonna wake up, I was gonna get up the next day and get to work and, you know, I, I always had a job. I always worked, no matter what kind of condition I was. I was always working until like I was the only person that I could rely on. So it was me, myself, and I, right? And and um, until I couldn't anymore, and then I, I had no idea what to do. And so I tried to hide it as long as I could. But by then, right? So I'm lying to everybody. I'm sneaking. Like I'm just not. I'm just not who I even want to be anymore. I don't want to be. I'm not a good liar. I don't like lying. Like it gives me the chills to this day to just be a dirty mofo. Like I just don't be. I don't like being. I like being legit. I just like being genuine. I can't can't lie to your face. So then, what do I do? Like, then you call me a lot. You ask me if I'm drinking, and I'm gonna lie. I'm gonna tell you no. Well, then don't be mad at me because you asked me, and so you know I'm drinking. So then don't ask me, right? Because you know I'm drinking. So just don't ask me. Um, but then what do you do? Is you just stay hidden longer? You just stay isolated longer? So then you're not answering to anybody, nobody, right? Except for that bottle that you're waking up to. Like, and that bottle became my my. My, my everything like you talk about and I would forget about hiding it like if I'll sleep on the on the ground and slide it under the couch or stick it down in the couch or stick it in the file cabinet that was my office and you know you forget about it so I'd get busted by my son and, and I would lie and say whose it was but then that gig was up sooner or later right and so when I had my son taken away uh, in uh, 2016 um, I still I still drank I was then I then it was worse right because I'd wanted to stop drinking before that and boy, when, when things get worse, you know, if I thought that I could stop drinking then, once it gets worse, like my chances were just, were just much more, much, much more, you know, because then I was like, I was a horrible mom. So that title, and it felt like it was like advertised on the Union Tribune, right? Like she's just a horrible mom. And like, that's the worst thing that you can be to me is, for me is a, is a horrible mom, right? Because I was already a sloppy to fall down drunk for so long that I already had that label. You know, when I moved from my house, when I lost my son, because I figured moving, well, I didn't figure it, God moved me here, and that's, that's part, of my, part of my story, too, but when I sold my home that I had in 20 years and packed up all that stuff, I was still drinking when I did that, so I was, I was drunk when I sold my home of 20 years and drunk when I bought my condo in Eastlake, but when I went through all my stuff of 20 years, going through those photos was hard, man. It was, it was heartbreaking because you saw all of the pictures, like, before right where you're all together and everything looks fun and I'm all dressed up and not pimped out but you know I've got heels on and cute skirt and I'm ready to go somewhere and at the end of the night like hot mess express you know like and it's, it's it was heartbreaking like the, it was all the beginning of the beginning of the evening photos end of the evening photos right and my friends that I have now are some of those same friends so and I drank in the same same area for a really long time so like it was a lot of those you know, it was a lot of the, a lot of repetition, a lot of the same people. Like I didn't really go anywhere for new experiences. So, it, it, you know, that was 20 years of memories that of my drinking memories, probably longer than that because I drank before I moved in that house. But it's pretty sad when you see that, you know, when you have that face to face. And then when you cash out your, 
your 401k because you are on disability and you're trying to get sober, even though you're even though you're an IOP and you're going day to day meetings and I'm still drinking, right? I'm still drinking. My son's gone. And I'm still drinking. And I always wondered that whole time, like, dude, how could I get, like, where did I get this drive from? Because I always worked. I just always got up. I always took care of business. I took care of the house. Like, everything, everything was in check on the outside, right? How, like, what drove me? Because I left home early, so it wasn't my mom. For sure wasn't my dad. And so that's another God thing, right? Because somebody has given me this drive to just be, just at least participate in life somewhat. Like, I've just never not worked. I've never just not participated in life. I always paid my taxes and had jobs, but I always kind of wondered where that, where that came from. Um, and, and, and now I know, I just have wondered that whole time, like, where did I get that from? Like, why am I still working? Why am I getting my ass up and getting it together? And, you know, showing up when you've got that, when you've had that utter demoralization every day, all the time, and your gut is just grossest, the grossest, grossest feeling ever. You know, and when I was young and and when I was still at home and I would sneak out, we'd go to this dance club. It was 14, it was um, actually eight, I think it was 18, 18 and up, but there was no, there was like soda and that was it. And it was called Stratus in Spring Valley. And I just snuck out to go dance, right? And it took me forever to sneak out of a two-story house. And But the whole time I was dancing, I'd worry that my stepdad and my mom were up when, when I got home. So like, just ruined the whole time, you know what I mean? Because I'm like dancing, I'm like, fuck, am I going to get in trouble? Do you think they're going to get caught? Huh? And you know, I had that same feeling when, when I lost my son and I was still being tested, I could be tested twice a month. And the alcohol test these days are four days, four days exposure. So that's 92, almost 92 hours on the front and on the back end. And when you divide it into two, for you know, it, there's no way to drink around that. And I was still drinking. So I would count, like I was drinking and I'd do the same thing like when I was a kid, like when am I gonna get busted, am I gonna get busted? Like the torture and the feeling in my gut from, like I needed a drink so bad that I was risking like it down to the hour to hopefully test, to hopefully test clean. And twice I didn't, twice I didn't. And it was times like my ex was really good at manipulating me and it's those excuses to drink. Like, well, he did this and, I, and I'd go and I'd go hit that bottle. And that's how, like I said, after I lost my son, sold my house, I'm in East Lake alone. Um, I was an IOP and I was still drinking. It slowed me down, like AA slowed me down, the IOP slowed me down, but I would just go there and then I would, I would get a bottle right down the street. And um, actually I had my first grand mal seizure in, in IOP in February of, of 2017. And, um, and I still kept drinking, right? So that's how sick I was, still kept drinking. I didn't remember it, so I guess that wasn't scary enough for me. I say that now, but then I had one again and I still drank. And I was awake for, and I was completely coherent for that. And it was the scariest thing, scariest thing that's ever happened to me. But I obviously not that scary, right? Because I drank again. Um, and you know, in, in that Kaiser program, it's really, it's really interesting because they're teaching you, you have to go through a relapse recovery where they try to teach you all these ways to not relapse, but it's before you even get sober, right? So. Like that was never gonna work. That was never gonna work. Learning it backwards. Um, I came to East Lake. I would have never sold my home in in South Park and moved to East Lake. Higher power, God did that. I ended up in East Lake. Walk into the East Lake um, meeting and I get asked, invited to a BBA workshop, right? And um, that's like where my life all started for me all over again. I did an in-depth. Guys, well, I was invited, and like I had, I had multiple guides that said, "Hey, on if you're self-made, then you're in the right place." 
you know, if you're this and that, then you're in the right place. And they took me in and went through this in-depth study with me. Like, I needed to learn about myself and my disease. I had to learn because I had to know how to prevent it. I just had to know, like, those signs. So I'd stop it way out here before I go down that rabbit hole, right? Way before, like, at once and all these other, all these tools. Like, I had to just absorb all these tools for a really long time. I listened to meetings when I went to sleep, the BBA meetings on tape. I just, I listened to all of that. I mean... While I slept, and it was I just like infused myself in that stuff, and everybody's experience is what kept me is what kept me going. Is everybody's experience, everybody's story, and then I worked through that, and I and it, it was gnarly. It's what I had to do though to figure out how did how did I get so sick? Like I was in, a, I would go to meetings every day, and I, one of our fellows walked in with a brand new baby, baby girl, and I was a wreck. So I'm like, how did I get from that little innocent baby girl to me? I'm sitting here at 49 and. 48 at the time, and I just have a year sober. Like, well, my, where'd that innocent little girl go? You know what I mean? She, well, now she's sober, right? And now she has a relationship with God. She has all these people. I know what my disease does to me. I know what it looks like. Before, I never played the tape. Dude, I never played that tape. I never played that tape. Now I don't, like, for a second. Like, my, my son would be devastated. To get to all that work, to get back here, I had to make a choice at one point because I, I had a monitor, 25 bucks an hour, that, that core monitor was, my babysitter, to go to BBA, to the BBA meetings, BBA workshop, and pay $25 an hour, $25 an hour, so like I'd bring my son and put him and pay 25 bucks because I had to go to that meeting and I had to get sober, right? But that was a God thing, like I don't know when I lost, that when I was relieved of that desire to stop drinking and that obsession, but I was. I was. I can't. I can't pinpoint it. I don't know. But I can tell you, some of my most insane times was when I was sober, because I just, I, I didn't, I didn't fully, I didn't fully surrender yet. I, I didn't know what a spiritual out. I didn't know what a spiritual experience was. I had to just like sit back and just wait for that to happen, right? And it all has. It all has. My son, you know, I, I didn't think about him playing baseball when I ended up in East Lake. He's a baseball player. He's going to East Lake now, like. He doesn't want to live with his dad. He wants to live with me like I'm the trusted mom. And before I was the mom that I was a zero, maybe I was a two, to the CPS worker on safety when she asked my son, how safe do you feel at your mom's home? And I, I'd like to say two, but he might have said zero. You know, so like that's that's all this that's happening. And it's, it's been a total surrender. And I, I, don't, I don't trip on anything. To where I'm, to where I'm a complete ding-dong, so I seem really oblivious, which might seem rude, but I just... Like I don't trip on anybody else's business. I don't have an opinion about a lot of stuff. Like I keep my mouth shut a lot more, <laughs> not in total. But um, you know, there's that strength that God gave me to do this. And there's the reason there's hope is because I was a hopeless alcoholic. Like I was a drunk ass chick for a really, really long, and a woman, a drunk ass girl, a drunk ass chick, a drunk ass woman, a drunk ass mom, and a drunk ass mature mature age person, you know what I mean? They call me, so, you know, like, it only got worse, it only got worse. There was, it was never gonna get any better. And last time it picked up, which was in the end of 2016, my shit was gone in, in a matter of six months, which was, I told my, you know, I cashed out my 401k, spend it on recovery, but I would spend it on the bottle and stuff, you know what I mean? So, when I had no, no future, no bank account, no 401k, nothing to tell me that I was okay, everything was going to be okay. Like, I just had to tell, I just had to believe that it was going to be okay because I had no other choice. I had no other choice. And then everybody here told me that your son just needs his mom, so it doesn't matter what you have. Because, you know, growing up with nothing, I want to give my son stuff, you know what I mean? I want him to look good and feel good. And, and when all that happened, I just told him, 
when I had them for one hour on Christmas in 2016 at Denny's because they had to watch me that I was going to fix this and he said you better and so, and so I have and he's come through the program and stuff with me and we joke about we joke about me being he's only he hasn't seen me that many times but he's seen me enough and he and he and he's still there's still more to to be revealed right and sometimes he does just when I think that he didn't realize that I was drunk at that time and he surprises me because he's, he knew that I was <laughs> no secrets so thanks for letting me share I'm Michael I'm an alcoholic I'm Michael. Uh, there you are. Thanks, Anna. Uh, so a couple of things that you brought up for me is, uh, you know, family of origin stuff. A lot of the things that I struggled with growing up had to be dealt with as an adult. And as long as I was drinking, that wasn't going to get dealt with. Any number of them could have been part of my alcoholism, but I don't think all of them built together exactly make me an alcoholic. You know, the, the three pieces of our disease is what really makes me an alcoholic. I've got other friends in my life that have worse stories than me and they're not addicts or alcoholics, right? But alcohol did for me what it, it does for a lot of people in this room is it calmed all of that, that inner turmoil. And it did it really quickly and really effectively for a long time until it, it overtook me. Um, and then you talked about being strong and strong-willed and successful and, and apply yourself. And then I turn it to my alcoholism and it doesn't get jack shit. Like wildly successful in all these other areas where I can, can show up, but I can't in my alcoholism. And a lot of people like to look at alcoholism and addiction as we're weak-willed. And I mean, certainly your story says you're not weak-willed. I don't think many of us are weak-willed. In fact, we're quite strong. I just try and use that strength against my addiction and my alcoholism and it just doesn't work. That's alcoholism. I need to have something bigger, better, God. And then um, just to touch on really quickly, doing the work, being, staying connect, being connected and staying connected to the fellowship, several of us here got to walk with you through that. And I remember you guys going into the chapel and Luis and a couple of the other people, we were breaking into small groups and it was, you would walk in and a couple of you, especially you, David, were these angry, angry people like me walking into that session. And then you guys would walk out and you'd just be like, ah, everything's just cool, you know? The, the fellowship and the solution that we bring to life's problems, it, it works, it works. And then we watched you walk through the custody and the charging, the hours and this and getting Bo back and everything. And, you know, just amazing to see you come in and, and walk with us in here and you're just a, a miracle. And um, I don't know how we can do it out without each other and without God. So thanks for sharing tonight. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Becky. Thank you, Mike. I'm Janet and I'm an alcoholic. <laughs> I think I might be starting to recover from that hopeless state of mind and body that I got here in, um, which is a nice freedom to be able to express. Um, thanks, Anna. You really, you really told how it really feels to be completely defenseless against alcohol and have no defense against that first drink, even when you know 
in your heart of hearts that it's brought you nothing but trouble and it always creates misery for those around you. Sometimes you have a good time, but there's always that part, there was always that part of me that knew I'd lost myself every time I did it. I don't know, it, it's, there's that awareness sometimes when you come out of a, a bender or a, a time where you've just partied all night and you're completely screwed the next morning, there's this, this moment where you just go, oh, oh my God. And then you put on the bravado and you're all, you know, it's okay, it's cool, and you create a story, or I did. I'd create a story that would make me feel cool and make me feel like it was okay to be out of control on whatever alcohol or drugs that are, or combination thereof that I was using for that particular occasion. And um, it's, it's a hopeless state of mind and condition as talked about in the big book because I, I, I wanted to believe that I could control it. I really believed that I could control it. And there were times where I would stop drinking for a few months there was a time where I stopped drinking for, th for three years. Um, and, but, but when I wasn't drinking, I had to be really super busy. Because if I wasn't distracted and busy, then I was left with this, you know, and it becomes a bad neighborhood, you know, sitting in, sitting in a, a room just with my head going without anything to kind of feel purposeful towards or to distract me. Um, it was a time where I would start to touch in on just how miserable I really was. And um, so anyway, just for me, um, I really experienced the progression of the disease. I'll just share on that because that's kind of where you went tonight too, Anna. Um, you know, I picked up as a teenager, I picked up weed because I had to get away from this terrible feeling I had um, of... Um, of, of discomfort. I was, I was uncomfortable in my own skin and weed really did it for me initially and then I mixed it with alcohol and then I mixed it with acid and then I mixed it with a bit of cocaine and then I mixed it with blah 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 blah. And, um, but, then I, but then I'd stop drinking for a little while and that would make me think that I was okay but I was smoking weed, you know. And then I would stop smoking weed for a while, but then I'd be drinking alcohol. So I just, as we say in Australia, we just switch the, switch the witch for the bitch, you know, so that you could delude yourself into believing that you had some sort of control. And anyway, at the end of my 20s, near the end of my 20s, I actually stopped drinking um, and, and using weed and was super busy and travelled overseas. I was just part of the how I ended up here in the first place. Um, but what happened to me was I went and did this really deep 10-day meditation retreat, found, found myself really in tune with a whole lot of stuff. But that alcoholic, that alcoholic and addictive side of me was just waiting. Because I came out of that 10-day meditation retreat having not um, spoken for nine days and almost the first thing that came out of my mouth was I'm going to go to the New Orleans Jazz Fest. <laughs> so I'm in California, I'm going to go to the New Orleans Jazz Fest and I was drunk when I got off the plane. <laughs> I was so just whacked out and I didn't know that really but I walked into the French Quarter to meet up with some friends that were there and um, travelling from Australia and I got drunk and it was worse so much worse. And then I would stop, I stopped again when I got pregnant. 
some years later, about three or four years later, I stopped again. It was really hard to stop this time. By now I'm smoking crack, I'm smoking weed, and I'm drinking to, you know, to drop, drink to drop every single day. And, um, <clears throat> but I managed to pull out of it sometime into the pregnancy. And when I, as soon as I thought I could pick up something safely again, because I was breastfeeding, <laughs> I did. And it was just pathetic. I just, I just couldn't stop. Ended up in the psych ward, um, having had a, a, a major kind of event. <laughs> I don't know how to describe that. It was in, I ended up on psych drugs. I'd been incarcerated while I was in New Orleans. I mean, it's all in the big book. I did it all, you know, and I still could not stop. I had no defense against the first drink. And uh, just to wind it up, because the timer just went off, when I came into AA, the day before, I had sworn and vowed I was not going to drink that day. And somebody offered me a beer, and I don't even remember taking it. But I was in a blackout, and there I was again. And I'd forgotten that I had this gorgeous little boy. Completely forgot. And that was the, that was the point that, that spun me on the head. I was just like, I've got to go. I've got to go to AA. I really need help. But if you're new in this program, there's AA and there's BBA. It's all the same thing. The BBA is a little bit like AA on steroids. I'm just going to leave it there. It works. <laughs> Good evening, everybody. Stosh, alcoholic, addict. Um, 42 days today. Hi. That number still doesn't seem like a lot, but it seems like it's forever. Uh, I'm here with a little heavy heart. Um, I have to, I heard yesterday, I went and visited, I had breakfast in, down in the village of La Mesa and uh, saw a friend there that I used to hang out with and drink with. Told her I'm in AA, the whole spiel, and uh, then I get this, you hear about Will. I go, oh, William Stewart, he's an older guy about 70-something, huge alcoholic. Um, he goes, no, Will, Will, William, Will Beck. I go, no, no what? He died of alcoholism, mm -hmm. 41 years old. And we're gonna celebrate his, his life on Wednesday. And uh, I, it just shocked the hell out of me, He's 41. And I used to go in the bar with him, put our laptops and talk about business a little bit. Um, smart guy, and I still, right now, don't know what happened. I don't know the whole story, but 41 years old. 41. Wow. Um, and, it, you know, we're talking about strength and hope, and uh, I was quiet for a while while sitting there, and, and uh, the girl said, hey, you all right? Yeah, I just, I'm just thinking, like, wow, it could, could be me, you know? And I, I don't know, it gives me, gave me strength and more hope to stay in this program and, and uh, not fail in this because it's, it's a, anybody's a victim. And uh, I mean, you wouldn't pick this guy out of a crowd at all. You know, intelligent, smart, just uh, like the crossword puzzles together. And uh, apparently he was drinking, he's working every day in the, in the bar and drinking every day. Vodka sodas, and uh, went to the hospital, I heard, they had yelled jaundice, which you get, apparently, 
And they said he better stop drinking, and uh, he did not. And I guess after a few more months, that he went to the hospital and he died. And uh, you know, the topic today is strength and hope. I'm like, that gives me strength in a way. That sounds weird, and definitely gives me hope. And uh, it's a reminder. I think um, it's it is a disease, and it's a killer. And you guys are really brave to be here and stay with it. Um, I'm not going to leave this program. I'm going to make it through. And uh, and even the last 30, you know, couple weeks, I've been calls from various people about doing things together, my new sober friends. And boy, it's a new life, and I'm just, you know, the hair standing up. I'm just really happy to be here. Raina alcoholic. Hi, Raina. Uh, I want to thank you for your story. Even though I know you, I didn't really know all of that, um, what you shared. And the part that I really relate to is the kids. Um, when I lost my first daughter, she went to live with her dad, and I blamed her, and I blamed her dad, and I. I really missed her a lot, and I um, and I drank over it. I drank more. Oh, she's not here. I might as well drink. And then I got my little bag of cocaine, and that was it. And I got rid of all the food in my house, and all I had was drugs and alcohol. And I was trying to kill myself because if she was my life and she was gone, I had no reason to be here. Um, and I did that for a while, and then eventually got married and had another daughter. And I still continued drinking, and eventually I lost that daughter and I blamed that husband and I blamed everybody and I didn't I was I didn't understand alcoholism I really didn't I would say I'm gonna go happy hour with my co-workers and you know I really intended to just have one drink or two drinks and then next thing you know I was three days later you know just wherever um, and I didn't understand I really didn't understand alcoholism and but I blamed everybody for all my problems and um, my husband said, you know, go to treatment or don't come home. And I ended up going to treatment, and I'm really grateful for that, that he did give that tough love, you know, to force me to go get some help. But I did it for all the wrong reasons. I did it for court, for the judge, for, the, um, for my husband, to get my husband back, to get my daughter back. But in the back of my mind, I knew when the coast was clear, I was going to drink again. And the difference when I came to BBA, though, is so AA helped me understand alcoholism and do some step work and feel a little better. I'm like, okay, it's starting to make sense. I can understand the disease and the obsession and the allergy. But when I came to BBA, I got to go a little deeper. And it's more like, I feel like AA is put the bottle down and kind of just crack it open and start to understand it. But BBA for me is more of the emotional work and the sickness, the inside sickness, and where I got to take a look at myself, my behavior, my, uh, my choices, and understand to, um, to take responsibility, you know, that it's a disease. I have no defense against that first drink, and to start looking at my insides and the things that I did, and so I get to take responsibility for losing my daughter. I get to take responsibility for losing the jobs, for losing the marriage, for, for all of it. And it's such a relief 
Because when I spent my life going around blaming and blaming and blaming and blaming, I got no relief from that because I couldn't do anything about them. And I just sat there and blamed and blamed. But by doing the work, and then I guess it's like, ooh, ooh. And, you know, it's so cringy and so painful. It was so horrible and, um, and awful that I did that with my children, that I lost both of my children over alcohol because I just had no defense. I was, it, was, it was a lost cause. I had no, there was just no defense about it. Uh, but doing the work, taking a look at it, understanding it, and then taking responsibility. And now, you know, I lost my daughter, tw my first one once, she never came back. My second one, I lost her, got her back kind of part, like, a little bit, and I was working on getting her more, and then I got arrested, and there was just so many of the yets and things that were never going to happen to me, you know, and they did. Um, and then I lost her again, and now I'm coming up on two years sober, but the difference this time was the gift of desperation. I never believed that I would die from this. Only other people will die. They, they might crash, they might get whatever, but it wasn't gonna happen to me. And I got that gift of desperation when I really came face to face with the fact that I was gonna die over this um, disease. And I came to AA and then got to VBA and then started doing the deeper work. And this time around, I don't, I think that I will stay sober. I think that I will stay sober and I can stay sober if I do this every single day. I stay involved, I stay committed. The fellowship has made a huge difference um, for the new people. When people said, um, you know, get a home group and, and really connect with other people, I wasn't capable, I didn't, I couldn't do it. But that has been the biggest difference this time around is staying connected with the women and making friends with just everybody in the fellowship and, um, sorry, I'm kind of all over the place, but staying connected and this time around, I think I'm gonna stay sober because I'm doing those things because it's a priority because I got the fear of God of ever going back out because I believe this time that I can die from it. And now my daughter does live with me. Um, is that the timer? <laughs> not yet, not yet. I'll let you know. <laughs> um, and I have my daughter in my life, and I have my first daughter in my life, too. And um, it's the blessings of the program, but it's also a lot of work. And for the new people, it's a lot of work, but it's totally worth it, and it gets better. And um, just follow, I follow the suggestions finally, all of them at once, not pick and choose. Cause you know, when I first got here, I knew better. I was gonna pick and choose and do it my way and that didn't really work either. But I do have my daughters in my life and I have a sponsor and I go to meetings and I sponsor women, one woman. Um, and I'm just doing it. The BBA though is the emotional work. It goes deeper and it, it's a relief. That's all I have to say. Thanks. Octavio, alcoholic. Hola, Octavio. <laughs> oh, that was going to say my animal name. I go to this other meeting, <laughs> emotional <laughs> So anyways, um, yeah, when I decided to get sober, I did a lot of stuff. Like, I was open-minded, basically. Therapy, counseling, all that. Men's support group that I mentioned earlier. And thank you, Anna, for your lead. And I could definitely relate to being functional, like working and you know, handling my business that way. And it made it difficult for me, you know, because I could compare myself to other people. Like, I had this illusion that I had to lose my home or be divorced or, I don't know, missing teeth and that kind of stuff, being homeless. And then I'd get help, right? And then I can imagine life without alcohol because I was thinking, hold on, my daughter's going to have her quinceanera. And, and my daughter's already 17, you know. Anyways, um, I had all this thing where, like, whoa, when I get married, you know, Anyways, I, I had this thing where, like, I can't even imagine myself without drinking. You know, drinking was my life. Oh, my God. 
And um, slowly, you know, I was open. I was able to trust this guy that worked at the career that I had before this one. And, and he took me through the steps, you know. And I just remember he kept saying Rule 62, you know, don't take yourself so serious because everything was like disrespect or I get caught up on like um, getting frustrated, angry, and at the same time, uh, dealing with the trauma growing up with my father. And uh, so I remember coming to AA talking so much about my dad. And so finally, till I worked the steps, I was able to see a lot of that. And through BBA, what I, helped me a lot was the behavioral, the, the fixing, the control of, the, you know, understand that part more. And my, my behavioral was, what's my part in a lot of this? So that's, that made a huge difference for me. Um, I could see myself being more happy now, more, uh, just more chill, man. I remember sitting there and just thinking like, ah, like, you know, what am I going to say or, you know, what am I going to do? And now I'm more of like, I just feel at peace, you know, that's, that's what I could say. Um, working the steps like three times, we just finished this one on Saturday with Tiffany and it's, I learned so much from, from that group. And, and I know there's some people here that also been part of that. And, it really gave me a peace of mind, you know. So BBA for me um, allowed me to keep growing and allowed me to be open-minded because, you know, you got the old-timers that sometimes don't believe in this because they believe that it changes the book or changes this. And so anyways, um, I um, I said, you know what, I'm going to do this. Like I know when I wanted to get drunk, I'll find a way. I don't care if I was exhausted, tired, if it was what time it was, I'll find a way. If it meant going to Mexico and paying somebody to get alcohol when the store was closed, I'll figure a way. And, and this is how I have to work this program is keep going to any length, right? That effort. And, and that's what I'm doing now. So showing up here, sore, pinched nerve right now, trying to, trying to get in shape. So I'm hurting. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Hi, I'm Janice, alcoholic. Wow. Thank you very much, Anna. Um, I really relate to your story, especially the part of um, being self-driven and very uh, into self-will and being successful. Um, so because of that, I didn't think I was an alcoholic, you know. <laughs> I can tell you stories to tell you and it would prove that I was, but you know, my mind was is that, you know, I was a responsible alcoholic. You know, I commuted to work, I had change of clothes, I had all my gear that, you know, the gym was right across the street from where I worked. And um <clears throat> but every night I would um or every day at at three o'clock, you know, I'd go out to the bars. And I'd stay out there to wee hours in the morning. You know, sometimes I just slept outside from where I worked. Yeah. <clears throat> um, I came into these rooms through another program. And because of that, those other programs, I didn't feel like, you know, I just felt like something was missing, and something was missing. So, um, and at that point, I still didn't think I was an alcoholic. But I went to AA because all the books come from AA. And I'm sitting there doing the step studies and so forth. And I realized that um, 
wow, I gotta look at this, you know. And um, coming home from one of the AA meetings, I dropped off at one of the other meetings. And um, that's where I found the big book, Awakening, and which um, totally changed my, my life, totally gave me a new perspective that I was an alcoholic, and, um, and I really have to stay in the triangle. You know, I, there's no ifs, doubts about it. I have to do meetings, I have to do fellowship, I have to do be spiritual, I have to do the mental, physical, and all that good stuff, you know. Um, because my mind will go, if some drastic thing happens in the last three years, something really drastic happened in my life, my first thing was, I'm gonna go drink, you know. Um, and since then, you know, because it was such a big trauma in my life, um, that's been on my mind constantly, you know. I want to go drink, I want to go drink, you know. And so I really stay in the program. I try to stay as grounded as, as I can in the program. Um, you know, um, but these days, I don't, um, I'm not into the ego thing, um, you know, uh, this trauma totally helped me and I'm going through the book right now over the trauma and uh, specifically just trauma itself and depression and um, which that's what's so wonderful about the, um, the Big Book Awakening process is that you can take anything and substitute it for the trauma. Um, uh, so, that's all I have to say, I'm sorry. <laughs> Hi, my name is Solomon, I'm an alcoholic. And, um, you know, I have heard so many good things about BBA that I thought I need to explain what BBA is for the newcomers. And BBA, is, it's only, it's the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We, we don't run anything different, but what we do is that every statement in the book, we just turn it into a question so that makes for the big book to have a personal experience with it. And like everybody was sharing, you saved my life. But, uh, but there's nothing that we add to the program or anything, it's just the same thing, we just work it in detail. So that's what BBA is, which is Alcoholics Anonymous. So, so anyhow, I, you know, thank you so much, Anita. That was, man, that actually made me feel sick when you were, when you were talking. And, uh, and it made me feel sick because I, I, I thought about myself, you know, when, you know, I got, I got to this program really young, man, right now that you came, came in, you were young, and uh, I came here when I was 21 years of age, man, I'm from Mexico City, and I had my field, and I went to treatment, I went to meetings, I sort of worked the program, and I stayed sober for like 10 years, man, and, and back then I gave my life to God in the way that I understood God, and I gave my life to the program as I understood the program, and my life was wonderful, man, wonderful. All the dreams that I had, they came true. I mean, got married, got kids, got the job of my life. I mean, I was dreaming, the, I was living the dream. Like Anna was saying, you know, I had all the toys, I had all the success, I had everything. But, um, you know, this, uh, unfortunately, I didn't last sober for that long, probably 10 years or so, I, I really don't remember. And then I relapsed, and I had relapsed for 15 years, and uh, I just barely came back to the program probably five years ago. And um, and what's different, you know, and, and uh, for, for the newcomers, 
this is a disease. Today you understand that I am different than everybody else. I, I can act as normal as I want. I can go with my friends and act as if I was a normal person, but I'm not. I'm sick. You know, I say this a lot and people get kind of ticked off. I, I was born limited. That's it. I can't drink. But I cannot drink, I cannot use drugs, and I cannot do a lot of things that normal people do. And I have to do a lot of things that alcoholics do in order for me to stay alive, right? And that's in the book, that's in the triangle, like, like the preceding person was saying. So, um, you know, for me that was a relief because in the, for the first time in my life, this time around doing the BBA work, I truly conceived to my innermost self, like the book says, that I was not a normal guy, man. You know, I've been a duck all my life. I quack like a duck, I walk like a duck, but I, I thought I was an eagle all my life. I thought I was an eagle now. But I'm a duck, and, 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 and until I found my ducks and I was okay with being a duck, I, I couldn't be at peace. So today I understand that I have absolutely no power over this. You know, if I had cancer, if I had AIDS, if I had uh, diabetes, whatever I may have, I wouldn't have any power over that disease. I would have to go to the hospital and get treatment for that. Well, I am an alcoholic and a drug addict, and I have absolutely no power over the disease. And, and you know, the book tells me that the only way that I'm going to find recovery is through finding a power greater than myself. And that's what I find here in AA, and that's what I have found in BBA. And all the deep work that people were saying, you know, that, that you go into the fourth step and you look at your fears, you look at your resentments, you look at your life, and, and all of a sudden, for me, the biggest gift of, of, of this program was the gift of compassion. You know, today I feel compassion for me. I can look myself in the mirror and I can talk to myself, all right, and you're all right, Oliver, you know. Before I used to tell Oliver all kinds of nicknames, you know, and all of them were, were negative. So, you see, the, the, today I'm a father. I will never dare to speak to my kids the way that I used to speak to myself. Um, but that was normal for me. That was regular for me. And uh, until I found myself and I found God and I found the 12 steps and I found this wonderful fellowship and I couldn't look myself in the eye and, and love me for who I am. So. So the strength and hope here, I mean, guys, if you keep on coming, the new guys just keep on coming. Uh, I don't know if you speak Spanish, but if you do, we're starting a workshop on, on Wednesday. Uh, there's, there's a Spanish book there that God hand-delivered for you right there, so if you want to get it, I can talk to you after the, after the meeting. But um, the workshop that I have taken and the workshops that, I've been, that I have had the pleasure of giving have saved my life, man. This is the most beautiful gift that I have ever had in my life. Today I have peace, I can look the world in the eye, I don't know why. You know, all my life I try to do something in order for you to love me, man. Today I understand that I can be me. And if you love me, that's okay. And if you don't love me, that's okay too. But before it was really, 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 really hard. So welcome to the newcomers, guys. I hope to see you here every week. Thank you, that's all. I, I am David and I am an alcoholic. And uh, Anna, I thank you so very much, my dear friend. We came uh, almost at the same time, one uh, month uh, difference. And uh, what a difference, what a difference that I see in you, and what a difference that I see in a lot of people, you know, that stick with this program. You know, I can identify exactly whatever you, what, 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 almost everything that you say, you know. I also was, uh, you know, I was a drunk as a kid. I was a drunk as an adolescent. I was a drunk as a teenager. I was a drunk as a juvenile. And I was a drunk as an old man. And thank God that stopped a few years ago. Thank to this, to this program, you know. 
I used to drink since I remember. My father has a philosophy that, uh, you know, with little alcohol, you can go to sleep really easy. So when we were the kids, you know, my father used to put a, a, uh, a beer in a bowl. And he used to give us a couple of, you know, spoonsful. Like that, we can fall asleep. You know, so, so that's... Uh, um, uh, why I say that I drink all my, my entire life. So I didn't know any 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 uh, way like you know some of our guys are saying you know with alcohol. I can imagine life without alcohol. So I refuse to be an alcohol uh, an alcoholic forever. You know, I lost everything. You know, I also was successful. You know, I have my my beautiful car, my beautiful house, my boat my wife, my kids, and I thought, I cannot be an alcoholic. I'm a provider, you know. And uh, until, you know, alcohol took over and I could not operate anymore. I can't function anymore. So, and it's still, in that time, like Anna was saying, you know, I swear many times, I went to rehabs many times, and I cannot stop drinking. And I swear time after time I, in, in, the, in my knees to my wife, please forgive me because I didn't come home three days in a row, you know. And I will never do it again. I was just with my friends and, you know, that's all what I was doing, you know. I always have an excuses because I work far away and I have a, a, a place to stay where I work. So I have a lot of excuses, you know. And, uh, and so, and, until then, it never will happen, you know. She knew every time I came, I came home, I was drunk. You know, I was, I was hiding alcohol all over the place, you know. I have this neat house by the, by the ocean, and I have a lot of bushes in, in the ocean, and I used to hide them, you know. All, all, the, all the, the, the little bottles of vodka, you know, all over the place, you know. And I used to tie them because I, I used to take care of the garden like that I can drink outside in the garden. So one day, you know, this, this heavy snow came down to, to town and the whole bushes was broken and it was a line of waters all over the place, you know, and I wasn't drinking, you know, I denied it time after time. Well, I want to make the story short, I just want to make sure that you guys know that, that I am an alcoholic and I didn't understand what alcoholic was, you know, until I came and started, I was, I, in and out of, uh, of, uh, of uh, Alcoholics Anonymous since 1987. And I never understood what alcoholic really means. Like everybody was saying, you know, that I, input, uh, I, I, I don't have power over the first drink. I had the first drink, you know, and it's all over, you know. I swear many times, you know, when I had my first drink in the bar at 8 o'clock in the night, that I would be home at 9 o'clock at night. And always till the, the bar was closed, you know. So, and uh, when I came to BBA, and like Oliver was saying, you know, the, uh, when I, I, I find out that I didn't have any power of my first drink and, and that, that I have any mental obsession, and, and that I have a spiritual malady, you know, that was my lifesaver, you know, when I found God in the program. Uh, I am a different man, thanks to to, to BBA, thanks to Alcoholics Anonymous, you know, I make friends all over again, my wife trusts me again, my daughter trusts me again, because I used to blame everybody. When I 
came here, like Michael was saying, I was an angry son of a bitch. And I would, I blamed everybody, my wife, my daughter, my son, my friends, my boss. So, and I find out over here, you know, I gotta be really, really short. When I was doing the realization after we did my fourth, my, my fourth step, I find out that the problem was me. That the only, uh, the, uh, the reason that I have issues is because I didn't know how to live, you know, and this program, they teach me how to live, and I find out now that everybody's saying I'm responsible now because I found the way how to be a little bit happier and how to, you know, let everybody else live their lives a little better. Thank you. Hi, I'm Luis, I'm an alcoholic. Hi, Luis. Ana, thank you so much. Uh, wow, uh, I remember when you first got here. I remember that workshop as Michael. Um, I didn't get to see David, because he was in the other group, so when he mentions that he was so angry, I never witnessed it, because um, my focus was in our little group in the chapel, as, as Michael brought it up. I just want to read for the newcomers. Uh, when I got here, I was so broken. I had lost my voice. My home was in complete upside down. And it says, the promise is, if we are painstaking about the phase of our development, we will be amazed before we are halfway through. We are going to know a new freedom and a new happiness. And you know, when I got here, I thought I was free because I lived in the US and you know, that's like one of our letters, but only come to find out that I was really trapped by um, alcoholism. You know, I knew I, I had a drinking problem for a long time. But I really, as we talked about it, I was really searching for, for that power of being able to control it. So I was obsessed. You know, I'd wake up and I'd tell myself, there's no way I'm gonna drink again after this you know, blackout. And then I'd, by 6 p.m. I'd have 100 excuses, reasons, or fuck it, whatever. And so, I, you know, I didn't understand. I just, I really, the new happiness is what kept me here. I wanted one more of that. Um, it says, we will not regret the past nor wish to shut the door on it. And I, I was so overwhelmed with regret. And so I heard that. And we will comprehend the word serenity and we will know peace. You know, I didn't ever knew that because I've been fighting my whole life. As Anna mentioned, you know, uh, things that happened to me as a child and I, you know, I learned pretty quickly after being beat up and bullied on that you had to, you know, you had to fight back. So I was always first to hit the other person and knock them down and just be all over them and it'd be done. I knew that if I could just well on someone for two minutes, it was done. And so um, I was always zero to 100 at school. Uh, no matter how far down the scale we have done, we will see our experience can benefit others. That feeling of uselessness and self-pity will disappear. Man, I wanted that, you know? And we will, know, we will lose interest in selfish things and gain interest in our fellows. Self-seeking will slip away. Our whole attitude and outlook upon life will change. You know, the, the, the gift for me is the relationship with God, which is not something I didn't have when I got here. And it was not something I was interested in. But it's through that relationship that I have come to know serenity and peace, as many of us have mentioned. And, um, you know, uh, someone mentioned about taking responsibility. And yeah, we, we finally get to see 
our lives, you know, like we see the unmanageability and with a little bit of courage, a little bit of hope and faith and, and then we start to feel this power flow through us. We start to be able to show up and help set up chairs or take down and, you know, and just participate, you know, in our own recovery and hanging out with the fellowship afterwards. And um, what I've come to find out, we'll come to experience is that God will trust us with little, and if we take care of it, then he'll start to trust us with more. And then suddenly it's like, you start to see the hand of God of how he's moving you, and like, and it feels pretty good to be part of something that's, that's bigger than you, you know? And so, you know, just let me just finish reading, and then I'll just share a little story. Uh, Fear of people and economic insecurity will leave us. We will intuitively know how to handle situations which used to baffle us. We will suddenly realize that God is doing for us what we could not do for ourselves. And that's really sums up my story. You know, God did for me what I could not do for, for myself. And as a result, you know, um, he's not only invited me into his adopted family, but, you know, he's, he called me his agent. So I get to, like, do things. You know, the other day, my kids and I, they wanted ice cream. So we showed up to Baskin Robbins and the the line was out the door. And we waited for a little bit, and I was like, this is way too long. And it felt a little uncomfortable. So I was like, well, let's go to Vons. And we never go to Vons, you know. And we showed up for ice cream, and the coolest part was, as we were exiting, I was able to see one of our fellows and just connect, you know, that eye contact. And it was like, you know, um, in that moment, just to be able to pray for this person. And, you know, and this is how it is. You never know why God moves you this way or goes this way, but then, you know, after almost seven years of being here, you know, with you guys, I'm still very young in this program, but the cool, coolest part is just the willingness to just be there for, be there for God, showing up for us and each other, and the willingness to ask for help when I need help, because, you know, going through that divorce, you know, I, I needed you guys. You know, and, and you guys, you guys pulled through for me. You know, Michael had prayer uh, circles for me, and Jose was doing, you know, praying for me as well. And it was just, that's how I was able to get through the biggest trial in my life so far. So I just want to say thank you. That's all right. If you enjoyed today's podcast, we'd love for you to subscribe at eastlakebba.com. You can also help us reach others by spreading the word about our podcast. Thank you for joining us today on the East Lake Big Book Awakening Podcast.